Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the Lord made it known to me, and I knew. And he showed me their deeds. But I, I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me that they devised schemes, saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. Uh, but, O Lord of hosts, you judge righteously, who test the heart and the mind. Let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. That was a vengeance, I guess. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Right on cue. Those pedals rumble. So, Jeremiah's been having some bad days. Uh, Jeremiah has had a, a, a tough ministry. Uh, he has been having to tell people that the time of repenting has really kind of come to an end. And they have missed that window of opportunity. That they are going to lose uh, all that they see around them. The armies of Babylon are already coming. And so to a great extent, his message is, is about to shift to kind of how to make lemonade out of exile, how to go into exile and retain the word of the Lord with them to retain the, the promises of God. But uh, none of that is going to, none of that is going to feel like good news. The only perhaps good news in that is that the Lord intends to go with them, that they will not be alone, that they are the future of God's hope for the entire world. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't feel like much of a future, and it doesn't feel like much of a hope, but that's what the Lord's Word does. It, it takes those circumstances, and it shines the light of His hope, of His great, big, mighty plan across all ages towards our Lord Christ, and says, you, you, you little exiled people, you, you are the hope of the entire world. Well, as they keep hearing Jeremiah's words, the people around Jeremiah have determined that he's got to go. Now, perhaps you've seen, too, situations in organizations that are part of or, or seen on... Uh, on various TV shows that uh, eventually a person has, has troubled the system so much, has stuck enough pebbles in people's shoes, has caused enough uncomfortable days for people who have worldly power that they've just got to go. Well, Jeremiah is in that boat. It's been determined by folks more powerful than him uh, with more resources than he has, at least by the world's standards, then it's time for him to go. What does the Christian do? How does the Christian respond 
when the Christian comes to the understanding or appreciation that their that their word and message, the life that they have been commissioned to lead, is simply not welcome. And maybe this is a theme for a sermon that doesn't trouble you at all. Maybe your life is going long great. If that's the way it is, uh, the hymnals in front of you, you can take a look at a few Psalms. But I'm going to talk about this because this is what Jeremiah is going through. And there, there is a temptation. There's a temptation to take matters into our own hands. And this is exactly what Jeremiah doesn't do. And it's exactly what the Lord calls us not to do, taking matters into our own hands. That's really, in the biblical point of view, that's really never the answer. <laughs> it's just, it just never is. We're never asked to take salvation into our own hands. It's always in the Lord's hands. We're never asked to kind of work out grace um, on our own, right? With, with fear and trembling, yes, and under the work and the promises of the Lord, surely, but but never to <laughs> never to take things in our own hands. Perhaps uh, the Lord remembers so many times when we have taken things into our own hands. That's usually when the Bible tells a story about how something went really, really wrong. Re like really wrong. Eve takes the apple in her own hands, and that's the start of people taking things in their own hands. Doing it our way has never been a good exercise when it came to working out the kingdom of God. Okay, so if that's the case, what do we do? Well, it's not that there isn't something to do. It's, it's, that, it's that it's not a great comfortable thing to do. It's not the powerful thing to do. It's not the standy uppy thing to do. It's not the it's not the put somebody else in their place and assert my rights kind of thing to do. It's the being gentle lamb led to the slaughter thing to do. It's the being a child in the middle of disciples who aren't quite sure who the greatest is and having Jesus say the smallest among you. That's, that's your pattern, that's your template. That's who you should look to for guidance in that kind of question. You see this, this prayer that we prayed in the colic for the day for humility and for childlike faith it clings to the Lord no matter what. And it waits on the Lord no matter what. And it doesn't seek its own version of vengeance. But it calls and waits on the Lord for his will to be unfolded. Because the thing is, the Lord... He's got a bigger vision than us. He's got a wider and longer perspective. 
and the, the things of the moment right now, which cause so much pain and suffering, which we can certainly imagine any number of ways how all of those things could simply be fixed by the right hand waving or the right wand waving. God sees that perhaps patience will allow for the moment of salvation to reach even into that situation as well. The patience of God has frustrated us as human beings since the beginning. He's patient with evil in ways that are unfathomable. And he is patient, was patient, for a real long time before sending Jesus. He was patient with all kinds of upheavals. He was patient with Abraham and Sarah for 25 years before fulfilling the promise of Isaac. The patience of God to bring about the fulfillment of his promises well, it seems to go on forever. It just seems to go on forever. And we want him to act. Well, so long as he's not acting on us. So long as we're not the cause of the evil. So, not, so long as we're not the, the ones who are misunderstanding his word. So long as we're not the ones who actually need the patience. Jeremiah, in the middle of his preaching about the downfall of Judah, is targeted by the powerful and is called by God to be patient. To receive from him, receive from God, all that he needs to keep doing the work he's doing while surrounded by folks who are his enemies and to keep being a child of the faith, to keep being a lamb ready for slaughter, to live on the knife's edge that way, recognizing that at any time his life could be forfeit. but to rely only and completely on the word and the will of the Lord for every single day's work. Get up in the morning, go into the marketplace, and tell people the end is near. When in fact, it, it actually was. Well, that news was, was not welcome. We have, we have a very different message. We have a very different message. We have a message that says that the Lord's verdict has been pronounced. Jeremiah longed for the day to see when the verdict of the Lord would happen, when it would be announced, when the guilty would be announced guilty and the innocent would be announced innocent and all things would be set right again. We have a different word in that 
our Lord Jesus has come. Our Lord Jesus has come, and he has announced the verdict. The verdict is that all who believe in me have eternal life. All. All. All who believe in me have eternal life. That's the verdict. That's the testimony. That's the vengeance of the Son of God. That's his justice. He knows how powerful his blood is. He knows how triumphant his resurrection is. He knows how far into death he was willing to go, and there ain't nobody who's ever gone further. Raise your hand if you also have descended into hell. Ah, nobody? Been there, done that, Jesus says. Canceled your reservation. Established for you a new house. A new home. Forever. We have a different word. And it seems for those of us who fully recognize and believe and trust this word that this ought to be the best news ever for anyone who would ever hear it. And that's what to me, I guess, is so often so surprising when it gets the same kind of reception as Jeremiah's words of judgment. Because why? Because it is the word of the Lord. Now let's take one step further into that question though. Probably the biggest problem with the whole operation of this is that we have already assumed that we're on the short end of the communication stick when it comes to talking about Jesus. And we find it already difficult to even speak the message that is good news because it seems so fantastic. Fantastic in, in every way. Fantastic in terms of it being so marvelous and fantastic in terms of it seeming so unbelievable. And so for even the ones who have been told the, the rest of the story in such a privileged position that Jeremiah never had, he there speaking words of judgment against Judah and her kings, and we with a, a word of forgiveness and life and love, we're both called. We're all called to the same position, the same stance, to live as sheep ready for the slaughter, ready to be on the knife's edge, no matter what, and to find our confidence there in our childlike faith, because the Lord has promised, and he is with us. He was with Jeremiah as the armies were coming marching in. He promises to be with us as the saints go marching in. 
we ask and pray that he would keep our hearts and minds in exactly the state that Jeremiah remained and in exactly the state that he called his disciples to consider. Instead of imagining among themselves who the greatest of all might be, setting that child right in their midst and saying, be like this one, be a receiver. Someone who knows that they have nothing to bring to the table, Something, someone who knows that they are precious in the eyes of God, not because of what they have achieved, because of simply who they are, because of what they are, created by God for his purposes and with a future hope that goes on forever in the presence and in the fellowship of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To see ourselves in that light, in that most basic, most fundamental light of the promise of God that comes to us in our baptisms, that calls us to this new life and love as a child of God, and to be comfortable there, to be at rest there with our hands holding tight to the edge of a kite. But to our Father's hand, who guides and keeps and holds, directs, comforts, protects. With Jeremiah, it was just the powerful who wanted him to die. Satan wants to kill your faith. Satan would love for you to take it into your own hands. That puts you right where he wants you. To be in the hands of your father, a child in his household, and to be at rest with him, and to have this word, this word in mind and heart and, and burning as a fire in the belly. To speak innocently. Without filter, without veil, without encumbrance. Jesus lives. Jesus forgives. Jesus welcomes. This all that Jesus provides, this all over which his salvation covers, it lifts my heart and mind out of the threat, the threat that Satan would put before me to destroy me, to cut me off so that my name is remembered no more. Because I have one. I have one who has promised to remember my name. Perhaps all the world may forget, and that's fine. Jesus remembers. 
and he has called me by it into his household, he will take care of the vengeance. He will take care of the judgment. He has provided all the justice that is needed. When all of that is finally worked out, you and I and all of his will be with him and he with us where he is. Amen. The peace of God that passes all human understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in faith with Christ Jesus. Amen.